Good morning, afternoon, evening, good night, wherever you are. It's like the Truman Show, except it's not Truman. You are now listening to the Robert Dowd Show podcast, available anywhere you can get podcasts, Spotify, Apple. Um, as far as I know, on the Apple podcast, you don't have to have a membership or anything. You just have to have an Apple ID or something. But yeah, first off, I wanted to thank you for the click. It means a lot to me that you stopped by. And like I always say, I consider you my friend. Um, we try to go uncut and off the rails with the show, but we have a few bullets we want to hit. So I am going to try and keep everybody on, you know, a certain wavelength. And uh, I try to control the uh, the narrative as well, but... We also have um, a few listeners have sent us in some stuff, so they get to help control the episode this week a little bit. Um, f- first off, we actually heard from Blaine. It's uh, somebody I haven't heard from in a long time. He sent us some listener mail, and also we heard from Steven, so we're going to tune into Steven uh, and take a call. But uh, Blaine sent us a message. He said, I think it would be cool if each week you picked a different children's movie and broke down the lesson it teaches. Also, maybe tell us if you've met any famous people while in Nashville. Because uh, I have announced uh, I stay 30 miles out of Nashville. And I have. I actually uh, don't, I don't, I don't want to name drop. But a certain older country singer, I got to deal with her sister... And she's known for being around Nashville, so I don't have to name drop. I have to. I can just kind of clue into it. An iconic uh, lady. I got to meet her sister uh, when I was doing locksmith work, and um, I got to deal with them personally. And my old, one of my older bosses, not my last one, but the one before that, he still deals with her and talks about how humble she is. But um, I, I can't I ever name drop on here, uh, Blaine, or I would. Um, so a little bit about what's been going on during the week. I Just to kind of like catch up and everything. Yesterday, unfortunately, I had to go to a funeral for uh, an old customer. And it was kind of just random. I mean, I was up late in the evening. I got a call and uh, it turns out his memorial was going to be the next day. And you just, you know, you gather yourself. I put on my Sunday best. And oh my gosh, my Sunday best doesn't even fit anymore. So that tells you where I'm at. I've, I've got to take this thing back to the tailor because it it used to communicate well and bode well about 20 pounds ago. But yeah, now since 20 pounds have arrived in the chat, um, the waistband, uh-uh, and the uh, and the whole vest situation, uh-uh, it's uh, it's not working. So I gotta take this stuff to the tailor and uh, have them figure it out because this all this whole situation, evidently, uh, I'm not getting fat. I'm still fit, but yeah. Um, so let's get back to the podcast. Um, this week, uh, I have my birthday, and uh, leaving your 20s and going into your 30s, uh, I kind of touched on it last week that it was coming up. Uh, it's kind of... You realize, I think at 30, and this might be how people used to feel about 40, but I feel at 30 that you start realizing your limitations just a little bit. You know, you can't stay up all night, you know, drinking or doing anything, I mean, and not just pay for it the next day. And uh, realizing your limitations is a big big thing that I'm seeing about being uh, 30 and joining the 30 and up club. Goodbye to the twenties is a sad moment, so it felt it felt like a a bad day, but I, it's a good day. We've, you just got to keep on winging it and keep on going. So, uh, to get back to what Blaine wanted us to do in the first bit, we've went ahead and broken down one of my favorite childhood movies. You pass it in the queue when you're on Amazon Prime Video if you have a Prime membership. Uh, it's called Mouse Hunt. So. We're going to break down a little bit of the 90s movie Mouse Hunt. I wanted to talk a little bit about mental awareness, mental health, and depression and kind of shine a little light on that. And also, um, here in the next, we're going to try and do a third of the podcast to be spoiler-free just in case you want to go watch Mouse Hunt. 
So we're, uh, we're going to start by giving you a little bit spoiler-free, and then later on we're going to take our, uh, our caller, Stephen, and uh, talk about a little bit about what he wants to talk about, and then we'll get back to a further breakdown on mouse hunt and uh, mental awareness. So uh, the thing I love about this movie, Mouse Hunt, the first thing you see in it, it, it kind of gives you that vibe like you're watching a, a Tim Burton film, but you're actually not watching a Tim Burton film. Someone had to tell me about this, but it's made by the uh, one of the guys who put together Pirates of the Caribbean. And that explains kind of like the dark and the dankness of the film. Um, so the, the story follows Ernie and Lars, and they're two brothers that can't seem to, you know, get along. They're always fighting about something. I mean, even from the beginning and even later on, I mean, they don't, they don't even agree on colors. Um, they inherit a string factory uh, that, ironically, they can't agree on what to do with. They don't know, you know, whether they want to sell it, keep it, what. But it's a lighthearted tale. I can tell you at least what's in the title that, you know, they inherit a house. And uh, and it's kind of creepy. It's a kind of creepy spot because it's a dark, dank film. But looking back on it from my childhood, uh, I've seen it as when you pass it in the queue on, uh, on these streaming services, it's something that you look at with a bright amount of fondness. Like you look at it and you're like, I really had fun with that movie. And even though it's dark, dank overtones and messy places and unpleasant people, it's fun. It gives you that Three Stooges vibe. And there's always someone in the argument who has the logic and then someone in the argument who has, you know, a little bit of the more emotional intelligence. And Ernie and Lars, that's the kind of dynamic they have. You have logic meets emotional intelligence. But... Um, I'm trying to see what all I wrote here that was a little bit spoiler-free. Um, let's see. I told you I love the movie. Uh, I'm actually going to go ahead and tell you, if you missed this train and you're now an, an older person or whatever, or I'm talking to maybe somebody from the younger crowd, it's it's worth going back and, and a rewatch. It's back when these movies used to have, you know, like a lesson that they had to teach you in them, and there were less rules on the table. So I I see it as one of those movies where they were trying to teach you a little bit of a morality thing, and uh, they're trying to teach you about appreciating your family and uh, and caring about your legacy. And seeing things in in a positive light as opposed to a negative light. And that's where I wanted to kind of bring in the subject of, you know, mental health. And it's it's not a downer, but a lot of what's happening in this uh, to the characters in this movie, they have literally no control over. I mean, some things, it, it's like something falling out of the sky and just hitting you. And... A lot of life, that's kind of how it happens. It's just something, you know, drops drops out of nowhere and boom, here I am. Um, I want to kind of th- throw in, uh, not really statistics, but some information about mental health. Because uh, the characters in this film, you could see that they're, uh, they're having issues with that kind of thing. And I feel it to be more common. So I actually took the liberty of looking up some uh, some things. Uh, evidently, according to you know, youth with severe major depressive uh, in 2023, 11.5% of youth, that's over 2.7 million youth are experiencing severe major depression. Uh, rates of a severe major depressive episode were the highest among youth who identified as more than one race at 16. 16.5% 16.5% about 123,000 youth and then another study in Health Day News nearly 10% of Americans suffer from depression with the mood disorder increasing fastest among teens and young adults a new study finds between 2015 and 2020 incidents of depression reached 9% among Americans 12 and older 
So we're looking at these, these stats and a little bit about this information. And I kind of wanted to ask the question that it's, it's always the basic answers, like we talked about in last week's podcast. The answer is always something basic. It's always something, uh, it's not a eureka formula on a marker board, not for me. It's always something simple. So I went to asking the almighty AI Google a couple of these questions that uh, maybe you're possibly wondering too. What causes depression? So this thing that, you know, we all say we battle with, it's not this, you know, great big inanimate monster. Let let me grab my coffee. Stay with me. It's not this great big inanimate monster. This thing is something real in the room. And I've uh, had people close to me, you know, go off the deep end. And, uh, you know, if if you mutter that you have, you know, somewhat of a, you know, a thought that goes south... You know, they can, you know, take you to the stockades and, you know, to the padded rooms we go. And it's like, hold on a second. So what what's leading people to get to this point? Is it currently what we're eating? Is it uh, the type of media that we decide to consume? Because there is media everywhere. I mean, it is just ridiculous at this point. I mean, when you have, I think I talked, I talked about this on last week's podcast. We have the whole world in our hand now. I mean... As soon as I open it up, I'm being bombarded with... I watched a documentary on YouTube about this. They, they were talking about how TikTok is affecting the attention span of basically everyone of every age. I don't have a TikTok, but Instagram Reels, it's basically the same thing. Snapchat Highlights, it's basically the same thing. They're all following the same formula because I think they're all being awakened to the fact that our attention spans are getting shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. Um, that's it's crazy because it's even hard to get into these new shows because, and I'm I'm talking about consuming media, and you're you're of course with me, being my friend, consuming uh, my media right now. We're in this together. Um, I'm just trying to create something as apart from just consuming it, but I'm a consumer just like you. Uh, so what this attention span thing is doing is it's it's making us bored easier. Uh, we're more in touch with the instant gratification age. And it kind of plays into what, uh, I hate to name drop, but that certain app you get on your phone where you can just order delivery anytime you want. Not the food kind, but the other kind. And it's anything that you want. And you can have it the ETA and the, the purchase price and everything between that certain site and another user site. I'm not I'm not going to name drop because I'm not trying to make enemies here. Between those two, if I ever need something, I just go on there and do it. But the instant gratification age, everything's now, now, now. This funeral that I went to uh, uh, of a, a close, used to be customer and friend of mine that I was telling you about, he was kind of subconsciously an advocate for... Uh, being stress-free, living a stress-free life. He didn't realize he was doing this, but he was a mouthpiece for a generation a little bit older than me and, of you know, 20 years or so and in that bracket. And we'll give it within that five or 10-year bracket of, of people older than me and how if something wasn't going to get done, you couldn't tell this guy bad news. You couldn't tell him, hey, uh, a part's not going to be here today. So, you know, and what's he supposed to do? Speaking of mental health, what's he going to do? Lose his shit? Pardon my French. Trying not to cuss on on air. What's he going to do? Is he going to lose his stuff? Is he going to completely come undone because you his his uh, his order from you know who you know the the bald guy in a spaceship isn't going to arrive on time? Is he going to lose his his uh, his way in life because of that? No. He, he made it pretty evident that it was going to be, you know, what's going on? All right, if it ain't going to be here, I'm going to push it off to the customer. Okay, it costs a little bit more than it's supposed to cost. I'm going to push it off to the customer. It was always, uh, and it wasn't always that he was pushing everything off. It was more that uh, he had a realization that if it was out of his control, that information needed to be relayed. And after you relayed that information, oh, what, you, you're going to hold me up against the wall is this a stick up you know no i'm 
I'm an average guy in the in the service industry, and I'm uh, I'm right here with you. I'm just like you. I'm your friend. I'm I'm on your side. We're on the same team. And I kind of want to wanted to bring up uh, another subject in here. I've been writing this podcast all week for you guys, and if you appreciate the work, feel free to drop a message or a quick note, and uh, we can make next week's something you want to listen to, or uh, you can even be part of being on air as a caller. As long as I can fit you in the spot and uh, and it's a first-come, first-served deal, we'll do it. Um, yeah, what, what are... Uh, oh, yeah, the, the topic I wanted to hit on. Battling with empathy. All this mental health stuff, the reason I'm getting in the head of what causes mental health and uh, overanalyzing the first 41 minutes about a mouse hunting people (laughs) and people hunting a mouse to not give any spoilers is because we battle with empathy if if you ever want to get inside the head of your your enemy your friend anybody that's why everyone always encourages you to read books what we do is i what i do anyway to battle with empathy is uh i do something i try not to get too religious on here because I don't I don't want to offend anybody. I know there's a lot of people who don't believe. But uh I think about Jesus. Jesus had a scripture uh in New Testament says something about, you know, how he walked our, he had walked our whole entire lifetime in our shoes. I try to do something like that. Um sorry to make that reference if uh if that offends somebody out there. But what I do is I picture myself putting on someone else's shoe. It's a very animate thing. Uh, I, I look in my head and I'm like, okay, this is me putting on their shoe. And then I pretend as if I'm walking around in it for a day. It's, it is very literal, but in that moment, and then that allows me to put myself in someone else's head and has helped giving me a little bit of empathy and understanding. Uh, ironically, what we call that also is playing devil's advocate. People always make fun of me because I used to say that at my old job all the time. Well, I'd like to play devil's advocate here. I'd like to play devil's advocate. What we're doing is we're taking the side of the our enemy or friend or family. We're taking the side of them to begin to understand them a little more. And I feel like we're always better stanced in an argument, debate, talk, or regular conversation when we have a little bit more understanding of what go, what goes on on the other side of the table. Let's bring this back to the mental health thing. So, what causes depression? All right, there's bullets. If you uh, if you search this on the great AI Google, they say childhood experiences is a bullet, life events is a bullet, other mental health problems. So it could be genetic or you know other covers a lot. Physical health problems. So there we go. You you've reached a limitation. You hit you know you hit the ceiling and your head hits the ceiling and it hurts. Genetic inheritance. Yep, I was just talking about that. You could get it from a family member. It's weird. Somebody at work was talking about this. Excuse me. I keep I keep burping this so so not cool. Uh, so somebody at work was talking about this. You know the Presleys. I think. Oh my gosh. Now I'm gonna butcher this. Elvis, Leslie, and another one. You know uh, the conspiracy about it. Uh, just like Michael Jackson and you know Juice World and Kurt, you you hear about these people, not just a 27 club, but you know, like Elvis, and you ask yourself, did they fake their death? Well, um, that's a bigger topic for a bigger time, and I don't know how I'll ever open that can of worms and unpack it. But what I was thinking about was uh, something that this guy mentioned. He said, you know, you ever realize that the Presleys, it's like they had a, uh, a genetic predisposition to be a, being addicted to, it's not opioids, but now I'm going to butcher this, but to being addicted to those, you know, those, those pills and stuff like that. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, Elvis died because of the drugs, and uh, Leslie, or, or or whatever her name is, I see. Here I am. This is when I go to tell a story. It's either the daughter or whatever. Their family had these similar problems, 
and uh, and it's genetic. And we just said out loud, you know, what we were thinking. Who's going to be the one to break the curse? You kind of think that. You're like, who's going to be the one to come along the lines and do something different? And it takes a lot of strength to bounce house out of your genetic predisposition. My family also suffers from that kind of stuff. So I'm not that that genetic predisposition to addiction and depression and all this stuff. And I don't answer to that. Like, that's not... If I wake up and my body demands something, no, uh-uh. And you shouldn't either. I'm encouraging you to never give in to that. And if you need help, get help. They have, If you have thoughts, they have you know, the hotline. Google the hotline. I mean, yeah. All right, back to our bullets on what causes depression. Medication and recreational drugs and alcohol. Boom. Ah, oh, geez. If they nailed me any harder, you know, it's like, oh my goodness, not the medication thing, but the, uh, you know, the alcohol thing. I've, I do, you know, enjoy the occasional drink, and that's kind of what becoming 30 kind of made me realize. It's like, you can't drink like you drank in your 20s when you turn into your 30s. And I imagine as you go up, you have to realize more and more of these limitations. Life kind of changes. You take what you need on the way out the door. You don't just wing it like you and parachute on the way down and get there and you know and you're all smiles it's not how it works anymore uh last bullet for what causes depression sleep diet and exercise the exercise thing i can bear to work on and um sleep and diet these are all things that are routine that you fall into a what we they say you do something for it's like two months 60 days something like that, and or less, somewhere around in there, or maybe it's a month, and then it becomes a habit. So you do this stuff long enough, it starts coming around to, okay, so this is, uh, this is the way life is now. You assume a new normal. And it's weird how uh, we can look back on humans as sort of a little bit like pack animals or something. We we take on, you are what you hang with, you know, and you are what you eat. And I ran into a guy uh, over the weekend, and uh, he walks past me. He, he's just talking. He was asking for directions somewhere. And uh, we didn't quite remember. We're, we're pointing over this way going, you know, uh, he's like, you know, we're 65. We're pointing over this way. I'm assuming it's the opposite of the direction I came. And, uh, I'm telling him, you, you're going to want to bring your phone just in case. And this guy's in his 70s, and he looks like he could kick my tail. And uh, had good hair, good jeans. He's up getting around. I mean, he looked like a, a, a tough little slim guy. But it wasn't, uh, he didn't look like Liver King, you know, like, uh, excuse me, uh, got the steroid jump. No, it was, you could tell he was completely natural. He said, you know, I had never smoked a cigarette in my life. Because I asked him. I had the inclination to do it, just being the inquisitive person that I am, and uh, you guys are probably picking that up now. I said, what's in the sauce? What's the secret? And he said, well, I hadn't smoked a cigarette in my life, but he talked about how uh, he had been smoking since Woodstock. This guy was at Woodstock. And now you're talking to people who, like, that's what's covering documentaries now. I mean, you get to the older ages of your life you see shit being you know and i'm not i'm in no room to talk i saw some of my audience here up in the uh 45 and up club kudos to you guys you guys are the real tough ones i'll be lucky if i ever make it there uh the the older you get in these more stories that you're able to tell i feel so bad for even mentioning age age is so disrespectful 45 and up you're you're talking to these people who they've got stories that are just ridiculous this guy pulls out an LG flip or something, or a Motorola flip. And after I had told him, make sure you take your cell phone with you, that way you have GPS just in case he gets lost, he flips this Motorola LG out and goes, yeah, I've never needed anything else. He said, it still ticks just like it. He said, feel free to text me, but you won't get a text back. And there's something to denote there from this older guy from Woodstock doing a you know, uh, I wanted to get into a little bit into the tech review. He's he's doing his own tech review from something from 20 years ago, and it's still ticking. There, there's nothing wrong with it. It's not like 
the iPhone with planned obsolescence. It's sending a new update when you're asleep and trying to let you know about this, that, and the other. And maybe there's a whole lot less entertainment on that device, but I guarantee you there's a whole lot less simplicity in the you text me and you know maybe I'll text you back, but I'm the obvious advocate to do the opposite. I I I actually purposefully do not put on silent mode so that it, just in case I get a text from someone close to me that I love, that uh, maybe I can be there in time. And I, we're expecting a lot of ourselves to be available all times of day. And that's part of what the big man in the spaceship has brought about. And, you know, the last 40 or 50 years of labor and there being less breathing room in the working class. And, um, I digress. I don't want to get political. I never want to get political. I'm just here to. I'm just here to talk, and I'm just an opinion. And everybody has an opinion. Your opinions are, you know, way more important than mine. I assure you. Back to what we wanted to highlight about mental health. Um, the main characters to kind of give you. I guess I'm getting into spoiler territory, and I'm well past a third in the podcast. I'm just going on this little adventure with you if you want to go watch mouse hunt you're more than welcome to uh dip out but first let's go ahead and take a caller uh steven you're on hey rob it's steve and um or you can call me a a toaster strudel uh because that's what i identify as these days or hot pocket (laughs) <laughs> um, man, you had a lot of stuff that you talked about, and uh, if I had to choose one, one thing that I wanted to talk on, it'd be these remakes, and uh, I don't know what's going on with movies these days, but uh, I feel like the quality, where we're, we're sacrificing quality because of whatever reason, I feel like the reason might be... Uh-huh. Everybody's trying to pinch a penny out of uh, whatever they can, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. Lord of the Rings, that's tried and true, baby. That's I can binge that every day. We love Lord Ring of the Rings. Powers, though, that's a different... I feel like Lord of the Rings should not have been on the title of Rings of Power. Oh, wow. Like it should have been its own thing. Leave Tolkien's masterpiece alone. Wow. Yeah. Uh, if if I if I could do that in my own mind, I might. No, I don't think I could still sit through watching Ring of Power, um, or or even more recently this this Velma animated series, man. And I grew up on Scooby Doo. Oh my goodness! But why they have to do it like that, man? Huh? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe call me call me an old head. <laughs> call me an old geezer that can't keep up with the times, but. Uh, <laughs> I think they might have should have left that alone. <laughs> That's my hot take, man. Thanks for calling, Steven. We appreciate any kind of feedback we get. Feel free to leave me a voice note or a message if you ever want to call back again. You're always welcome on the show. Uh, so, Steven, yeah, what you're, you're touching on is a, a story told a, a long time ago, and it's being a little bit culturally appropriated for today being more widely accepted they're casting you know different different forms of the same characters and it's different writing i mean i'm sure oh and it's sponsored by you know some pretty big stuff and it was very heavily funded like i'd say i've uh one of my buddies told me he said do you realize the budget on this film i'd i'd stop to look it up but uh i'm i'm paying attention to you um, it's an an unbelievable number. I mean, it is just through the roof what they spent on this uh, the show, and not just the show, but also the commercial, the ad stuff. You know, like sending out boxes with the picture, the Rings of Power on it. I mean, all this stuff they just you know are trying to, I guess, get an ROI on, on a show. 
and uh, my buddy was talking to me about it. He said, you know, with ads and everything, the ROI on the show and what they spent on the show and the special effects and the casts and everything, they'll probably never get that money back. And I was thinking about it and I was like, you know, what is the true profit budget on, uh, you know, making a show and everything? And that gets you down another Google rabbit hole. But back to what Steven was talking about. Uh, did it feel less original? Yes, it did. You know, that's the the hard egg to crack in the room. It's like the new matrixes versus the new matrix singular versus the old versus the old matrixes. And sometimes I bring up some of these movies with even people my age, and nobody cares about this, you know, cinematic universe. But we do. the The first two or three Spider Man movies, you know, like the first Spider Man movie. I kept the newspaper clippings as a kid because it was just such a momentous experience. And I mean, before, you know, I was even the kid, they were doing Superman with that kind of stuff. I, I ended up looking up, you know, DC came up with the idea for the multiverse so much. I mean, in the 70s, they, they released it with, uh, with The Flash is when they came up with the multiverse. And it, these days, the Marvel thing... I thought because of Marvel's take on the multiverse that they were making it up. I actually genuinely thought that, but that's not uh, that's not how the cookie crumbles. Um, most of these original ideas have already been thought of, and now every story has been told to the point they're having to retell stories and they're making them less enjoyable. And it doesn't matter if you throw money at art; art is always going to be kind of like the Banksy thing. If you guys uh, know about that or don't know about that, but Banksy is a popular, oh my gosh, every time I go to tell stories, I butcher him. Either He's from the UK or somewhere. He's, he's, he's from out there, and uh, he's a spray paint guy. He was making art, and uh, he makes an art for a popular art show. All you got to do is Google Banksy or YouTube Banksy, and he makes a piece of art that goes to auction, and as the people auction on the art, after the gavel falls, the art itself shreds itself. And he did that in a way to stand up against the art community. And uh, Stephen, I'm hoping this story kind of, you know, lights up to you about original art versus duplicate art and less enjoyable art. Um, the, the art shreds itself. And he did that in such a way that he wanted to announce something that the art community and the art underground community already knew. That art as a world had already been compromised. He was letting everyone know that. He was basically saying, hey, guys, I'm not for sale. He, as soon as the gavel falls, the painting shreds itself. And it's a, a little girl letting go of a red balloon. How ironic is that? Just letting it be free, you know. Uh, that's that's crazy and deep if you think about it. But as it shreds itself, the art community goes crazy. Because what he had done is actually an act of vandalism. Since technically, I don't know, he was it was his art. He's the artist, so why can't he do that? But Banksy, the reason why he could move around in the art community... And do these things like, because we can blame people for Rings of Power and the original LOTR, which would be less of a blame, but critically acclaimed. And uh, same thing with new Star Wars versus old Star Wars. That's a debate that goes on in my social circles all the time. People going, these new Star Wars films are just not as good as the old ones. And it doesn't matter which one you pick. And even though the CGI wasn't as good in the 2000s when they were coming out, with the stuff after the original stuff that made the franchise, even though they were missing some of that articulate CGI that was there. And Mouse Hunt is kind of in between that. It's in between the back when those days when, you know, they didn't have it, so the original Star Wars was painting. They were painting the backgrounds. They were making these models. And I watched a documentary about that. I mean, it was like a fraternity in there. And it had to be a bunch of people that got down with, like, this guy from Woodstock. It had to be... I mean, they were sleeping on the couch. They were living in the building they were making Star Wars in. That is crazy. 
They didn't have the budget, so they would just create things and make this art and experiment. Lord knows there was probably some kind of drugs involved in that process. Oh, my gosh. Banksy. We're, we're back to Banksy. I don't, I don't know. I, I just have to go and uh, leave topics sometimes. We were talking about mental health, but we're, we're talking about what Stephen wants to talk about. I'm, I'm very personally convicted toward underground art and the commoditization of modern day art and um, I'm not anti-capitalism I think capitalism is one of the best things that ever happened I just think uh, the system does have to be modified in some degree just to keep up if I had a better idea I'd go political I, I don't I don't have a better idea and you know what they say if you're someone complaining and you have a problem and you don't have a solution you're just an asshole so, so I'd like to leave the complaining about that to, you know, to the people who are making a difference and voting and doing all that stuff. But Banksy, the reason why he could get away with this kind of stuff, like vandalizing his own art, is because he was completely incognito. Now, eventually, his identity does come out, and then you're back into conspiracy land. You go, who is this mysterious Banksy? But... The cool thing about when he shredded that art is he did not go anti-commoditization when it happened. It actually made the art worth more. Hold on. Wait. Wait just a second. You heard right. The painting that shredded itself because the artist wanted to vandalize the art became worth more. It goes right back to Pond Size or whatever that auction place is and it's auctioned for more. That's crazy. That's ridiculous. Now, it might not have actually went back to that auction house, but I do know for a fact it was sold for more. And it was a more coveted piece because that act of uh, vandalizing the art actually became history. It became a part of history. Okay. All right. I'm assuming um, if you want to go watch the movie Mouse Hunt that uh, you're out of the building. So I'm going to do a little bit of a further breakdown on Mouse Hunt. And kind of why I believe these people are great advocates for mental health. Um, yeah. So, Ernie and Lars had been left behind Schmunt's String Factory. And Schmunt's String Factory is the last of an older generation leaving behind a legacy. And they pop the quote, you know, what is the world without string? And he had passed in his hospital bed... And he hands this the owner of Schmunt String and his two sons. He hands his two sons a piece of string. And one son, because the sons don't get along, one son immediately goes to tear the string in half. And, you know, this old guy in the bed just goes crazy. And uh, he's like, don't. You know, here's the string. You both keep it. It should, you know, bring you closer together. And the string is symbolizing something much bigger it's a it's a bond it's it's deep you know it's whatever you want it to be and it applies wherever you want to apply it to but it's about that family connection the other son takes the string and uh then i think it's ernie is the uh, the a-hole one in uh, the logic brain and uh, Lars is the emotional intelligence. Ernie says, okay, that's fine. You can keep this, the string for 50 years, and after 50 years, you can give it to me. He sits down and goes to start looking at his culinary magazine because he's a chef. And uh, Lars looks at his daddy, and his daddy says, you know, whatever you do, don't sell schmutz string to bring you back into a part of the flick that impacted me. And a lot of it's very impactful. This is, you know, really good movie stuff. He goes back to, he's having a flashback to the future now. And he's got a bunch of mafia guys in front of him, you know, offer him a great deal. They want to bring him on as staff, you know, highly pay him. But they want him to sell Schmunt String and become, you know, the leader in Twine or something. And he remembers the string thing and he goes, no, I'm not going to sell. It's not going to happen. And uh, then we flash forward again. And it's his wife uh, being really pissed off. And she's uh, packing a, a, bo- a, a you know a 
big suitcase or something. And he he's getting, you know, dinnerware thrown at him, and it's a very comedic scene. It's hilarious to watch. And uh, he's getting this dinnerware randomly thrown at him, and she goes, you know, back when I had I married the, you know, the son of a, you know, a fancy, you know, string company, blah, blah, blah. He's like, you know, you don't have to go. And she's like, no, I'm, I'm not leaving. You're, you are. She slams a door in his face. He gets to walking down the street, and he goes to a diner, much like a awful waffle or something. And his brother, the restaurateur, has lost his job uh, in the culinary field because he's pissed off someone of very high notoriety. And as he's there, he orders, you know, the you know the the Lars orders from Ernie cheese toast, and Ernie puts capers on the cheese toast and proceeds to yell at everyone in the lobby to find out who put who didn't want capers on their cheese toast or whatever and just he's insulting them to like no end and his brother lets down the newspaper like it's me and then they both have that moment like oh it's you i love you you know it's okay that you made that decision or whatever he used no empathy to get to that end step and they're walking down the street and neither of them have a place to go and conveniently their dad, the owner of this schmunt string place, has left them this house. And the house has a little demon in it that just runs wild. I mean, you, you bring out a whole wheel of cheese and you cut off a piece and try to put it on a trap. This dude's running away with the wheel. That's what's actually happening on screen. And it is fucking hilarious. Pardon my French. Um, to see a kid's movie deal with death and inheritances and vermin... Is sort of kind of odd. Um, what's even more odd is that we look back on some of these hurtful moments so fondly. And so it, it kind of goes to show you that along with time, time really does heal all wounds in, in a way. Um, funny enough, there was nothing the characters in this film could do about how they were going to run into each other either. I mean, everything from the moment that dad passed everything took a mind of its own their father's funeral took a mind of its own everything up until the end of the the film and uh, I'm not going to give away the main spoiler at the end just in case you are going to go watch I do want to be vague about that but it is something that brings the family together and uh, you know it could bring a tear to your eye if you look at it in the right light um, but it's very animated um, to tell you a little bit more there's Christopher Walken is in it, which is pretty funny. And he gets these goggles on. And uh, he's hunting after this dude. He's eating rat shit to find this thing. They've adopted a cat and named it Catzilla. And the feet break out of the box. And he runs around the house. And, uh, you know, they have a funny moment with a... They're lifting a hot tub up the stairs and... Uh, the sewage lines in the house and just basically everything just goes awry in Mouse Hunt. And uh, I really enjoyed going back and looking at it and having that deep, dark realism. It was This is before Stuart Little and stuff like that where it was animated and they take the, the rat and they humanize him and everything and he hasn't been. He's, he's on it. But yeah, the, the film deals with all these dark topics, but the mouse lightens it up in a fun and whimsical way. Uh, that's It's crazy. It's, it's crazy. You got to go watch it. But um, the, yeah, the moral of the story at the end, it brings back down to, you know, sharing. That, you know, a string found, the first string found in America could could bring a couple people together uh, your most unlikely circumstance even a mouse could bring together at, at one of the places I'll tell a funny story at one of the places I used to live at we had uh, we had mice and you you had to be real careful because uh, how they had got in I mean it was just off of basic stuff you leave a pan out on the oven it's got aluminum foil and crumbs on it 
the mice move in. And we had taken an Ernie and Lars stance to it. And I felt a lot like Ernie when Ernie was setting the traps. Like we did this stuff. We found out this this mouse or rat or whatever. I keep calling them these things, but they're distinctive different species. Uh, he, we had found out that he liked ketchup packets. He had snuck in the silverware cabinet and had got to these ketchup packets and chocolate. So we put out these feasts and we started naming these, you know, vermin. And there's one time where we had put out traps and stuff. The sticky traps were most affected, by the way, in case you want a life hack. Chocolate or ketchup or whatever that they're onto that you've caught them in, put it in the middle of a sticky trap. They sell them at Walmart. They're not all that expensive. You put them out, they're good for like a couple months, two, three months. You'll get those things and you'll get them out quick because they get cut, caught in the sticky trap. And uh, But then you have to think about humanely putting them out of their mind. But yeah, that's a thing. You, you can cross that bridge when you get there. Or you could just put them... In, no, you want to put them out of there. You, you want to give them some peace. You got to find a way to put them out. My buddy had brought out a BB gun. Well, this thing is in the silverware tray on top of the microwave. And I'm ducking for cover, hoping that he doesn't hit me with this BB gun. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) He's going to shoot this mouse. And I think he hit the mouse, but the mouse runs off and wasn't even wounded. I mean, these things are very resilient creatures. Hit it with a BB gun. I mean, it was on. But we had named them and were setting out these fine feasts to trap these, uh, these, these mice. And, uh... Or rats, and it's just crazy to see the mind on these animals. They've, it's kind of like, uh, along with anything else, cats are deviously intelligent. You know, their natural counter. Dogs, oh my gosh. I saw a border collie on YouTube that could, he had memorized a thousand or two thousand words. Just look up the smartest dog. It was on uh, uh, some kind of documentary it'll pop right up and you can watch this border collie can name a bunch of stuffed animals not actually name them but know them by name in his own head it's ironic that the characters in this movie begin a hijinks in the attic with it's just a mouse and that they're looking at this mouse thinking this isn't a big problem at all because it's just it's a very small. It's a literally small thing, which is reminiscent of the, that tale with the uh, the lion and the mouse. How the mouse had ticked off the lion somehow. I don't remember how that story goes entirely, but so yeah, we're brought on eye level with this mouse eventually, and we get down in the hole with this mouse on mouse hunt, and to Ernie. He starts referring to the mouse in different uh, names. He starts calling the mouse his enemy. And how he's going to outsmart the enemy. And they, then they even start claiming because he left a pit of an olive in the middle of the room that he's now assumed, you know, not just intelligence, but witty intelligence. And one of the brothers gives the other brother the metaphor that he's not sitting in a chair somewhere giggling at us. Oh, I left the pit out in the middle of the floor. I left it. I got him. I got him. Like, no. And a lot of the time when we're dealing with problems, you can take that and bring it out here to real life. A lot of the time when we're dealing with problems professionally and privately, using a little bit of devil's advocate empathy, you can actually picture in your head a lot of the things that you're thinking about that bother you. The people on the other end, the party on the other end, isn't thinking about it as hard as you are. That mouse and what it was doing in the house with Ernie and Lars, it wasn't thinking about what Ernie and Lars were thinking about. Getting the house ready for sale. Is it going to sell? What's going to happen to their lives professionally, their love life, and their mental health when all of this blows over? You're led to the end of the film, and it's brought about them being brought to the same place the story had sort of began at Schmunt's string. And as they're there, the 
the line had messed up again. The factory line had messed up. It messed up, messes up initially in the beginning and messes up initially at the end. And it had created something new. It had, instead of schmunch string being about string, um, it had changed to something, another product that they could commoditize that would bring about as much joy as the initial product. And the mouse actually got to be a part of it and was an integral part of the whole entire story. And I think the reason that hit deep to me is because every time you see a problem, you end up, you know, like, oh, okay, I have to go to this funeral or I uh, am out of this. I got to go to the store or something. And then you run into someone along the way and it blesses them that you came out of your way to do something that you wouldn't normally do. And uh, we talked a little bit last week about giving to other people, but this week it kind of covers that a little bit of that mental health thing too. Using the empathy to see what people who are going through these things are going through. If if we had been through it, we can kind of help with their story a little bit. We can actually help them along and uh, do a little thing to to help them. And sometimes it's as simple as checking on somebody you know is going through a lot. And uh, that little text from your Motorola Flip goes a long way. It does. It goes a long way. But uh, I believe I've talked your head off enough. And uh, thanks for being a friend. Thanks for stopping by. I hope you enjoyed some of the topics that we talked about. Um, between battling with empathy, mental health, and the movie Mouse Hunt. Let me know what you think in the comments or quick notes. And uh, we'll take next week as it comes at us, okay? Have a great day. May the force be with you. Talk to you later. Bye.